Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhering Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on patreon.com slash adhering apologetics. Uh, today I got Carl with me. We're going to be responding to a video by Atheist YouTuber TMM. I released 36 questions for atheists a little bit ago. Um, I could have worded the questions a little bit better, but I still think there's some a lot of thought-provoking things that we can kind of work through in this next hour. Uh, but Carl, what's up my guy? How are you doing? We doing all right. So All right. To get into it today. <laughs> nice. Um, this video said plus youth apologetics empire, but they all bailed on me. Um, so it's just me and Carl. So sorry for the misleading thumbnail, everybody. Uh, but with that, we're just going to jump into this video. If you have questions, we may get to some at the end. If it's a super chat, we definitely get to it. It'll be a little bit more chill. I'll probably be able to interact with the live chat a little bit more than a formal interview. So slam RN air church, the programmer. What's up everyone. Um, let's get into this. You ready, Carl? Absolutely. We're going to skip this first part and then get into the content and then we'll talk about it. Um, but yeah. Here's a guy who wants to gish gallop a bunch of easy questions to atheists. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why would there be nothing? Why are we assuming nothing to be a default state of reality and something to be in need of explanation? Nothingness seems to be a complete abstraction. It's just an idea and not something that should be considered a default. Alrighty. Let's get going. Um, Let's figure out our rhythm. You want to go? You want to go first set, or you want to go second, Carl? We'll just get a rhythm. Well, you see, why don't I go first since I'm the one that knows a lot less about these subjects, and then you can correct anything I say that's just you know blatantly terrible. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So, why do we default to there being something rather than nothing? Well, if we defaulted to there being something, and if we take that back as far as it can go, we get to the fact that something has always existed. Now, if something has always existed, something meaning matter, because there's really no other something, the universe would have already experienced its heat death. And we would not be alive today. Because there is a set time that the, for the heat death to actually occur. And if matter has existed infinitely far back, that time, because it is limited, would have already passed, and we would already be in the heat death. And since we know we're not in the heat death, that's why we assume that there had to have been nothing before there was something. Yeah, I'll add a little bit to that. Um, so it says, why would there be nothing? I think that's an interesting idea, but we could also just say why there'd be something, uh, hence my question. Like, I think it's totally plausible to ask that question. Um, why would there need to be an explanation? This is, I think where the PSR comes in. If you guys don't know what the PSR is and you're listening, it's the principle of sufficient reason. Um, if we take even like a version of the weak PSR, like an Alexander Proust would advocate, it'd just say that there's an explanation um, for every contingent state or state of affairs. So we can argue that if the universe is contingent, there's some sort of explanation uh, for the universe. And yeah, there'd be an explanation for why there's something rather than nothing. I see this sometimes in like response videos, um, from atheists is it's kind of like, why ask this question? Um, well, I mean, if everything we know of has an explanation, why would the universe be any different? Uh, yeah. And unfortunately the programmer as of now, the whole youth apologetics empire is kind of bailing on us. So it's kind of sad. Um, so I don't think anyone else will be here. So sorry for that. Is there any evidence that suggests the universe is eternal? It depends on what you mean by eternal, but since the matter in the universe was clearly more densely concentrated in the past, and since time passes more slowly around dense concentrations of matter, that corroborates the idea that if time...
and were to run backwards, it would approach the Big Bang asymptotically. In other words, the farther back in the past, the more slow time was. And maybe the speed of the passage of time at the Big Bang was infinitesimally slow. And in that sense, the universe has been around eternally. I don't think there is proof of this, but the fact that the universe was denser in the past is evidence. But even if the universe were not eternal, that wouldn't make it contingent upon a god. All right. Your thought? Well, we get into an infinite regression of time. He's just taking time back infinitely far, matter back infinitely far with it. So the point still stands that I made. It doesn't matter how asymptotic, whatever the freak that word is that I just completely butchered. I know what it means. It's the freaking graph type thing, but it doesn't matter how asymptotonic that's medicine. Never mind. That word doesn't matter how much of that word it is. Eventually with eternity, it has to run out because eternity is just that much farther. Okay. Um, I'll add a little bit. I'm a little confused first off. Like if he's assuming like, because if you if you assume an a theory of time here, where like past is um, distinct, present is distinct, future is distinct, um, you know it's all different in a sense. Then this idea would totally fall apart um, because maybe things occurred a little bit slower, but time didn't become slower itself. The events just occurred over a slower amount of time. Uh, so there's that. If even if you assume like a b theory tenseless um, theory of time, I really don't get what he's saying here. Um, I've never actually read an argument like this, like from what I've read. Um, so the Big Bang was intensively. So it's, he's still saying the Big Bang is an event. Um, so I just don't really get what he's saying with that. Uh, but even if the universe was not eternal, uh, that would make it not. That wouldn't make it contingent upon a god. Maybe um, that requires further argumentation. It's like the gap problem here. Like, okay, there's a first cause, but why would that first cause have to be God? Uh, which we can talk about, but I don't think he's really going to get that far um, in this. But we'll keep on rolling. Let's see what he's got next. If not, why do atheists hold on to this idea and say that you have debunked the Kalam? Well, the assumption that the universe has a beginning is the least of the Kalam's problems. The idea that all things which begin to exist have a cause is hard to reconcile with relativity, which says that all points in time are equally part of reality, rather than entering reality only after some prior cause. And thus the universe didn't come into existence at its earliest moment any more than a yardstick comes into existence at its first inch. If it didn't come into existence, then nothing needed to cause it to come into existence. All right. Thoughts, Carl? Taking a B theory of time, I think he's got a pretty freaking good point. That's all I'm gonna say. No, I think so. I think there's different ways we can look at this. Um, if you if you take a B theory of time, he's probably right. Obviously, like Craig and Andrew Loke and other defenders of the Kalam, they will argue for an A theory of time, uh, which would totally um, contradict his first statement. But even let's just say he's right, and we assume like a B theory of time here, which I'm entirely not convinced of. But you know, we can we can go with it. We still have things like the PSR. Uh, which is advocated, like take, for example, Alexander Proust, who's a Catholic philosopher. He's a theist. He believes in a B theory of time. But this idea of a strong PSR, whatever begins to exist, may, has a cause of its existence. Maybe that wouldn't fly under uh, B theory of time. But a weak PSR, like everything that exists has an explanation of its existence, that would be a that would fit under B theory of time. So even if he's right on this whole general relativity thing, which is a lot of debate, and I haven't read too much of it onto it, to be honest, he still doesn't escape the universe having an explanation because the weak PSR still holds under a B theory of time. 
and we will keep on rolling. And I just want to say as we go, some of these questions I definitely could have worded better. I kind of like tried to set traps or stuff. So definitely my mistakes there. I apologize for that. Uh, but I still think they bring important conversations to come up as we've hopefully shown as we keep on going. Yes. If so, why do the vast majority of scientists reject this idea? Citation needed on that one. But again, even if the universe was not eternal, that doesn't mean it necessarily had a cause. I mean, I think we can just say the same thing. This flies under a weak PSR where even if he's right, which a lot of really smart philosophers would disagree with him, not appealing to authority to say it's true, but saying that he's not necessarily right. Um, we still have the weak PSR with a proof, which would say not, not necessarily a cause of an explanation. Why is the universe so fine-tuned? It only looks fine-tuned if you compare the parameters it has to the scope of the parameters we can imagine it to have. The fact that we can imagine the universe with different parameters doesn't mean that these other parameters were ever actually possible. We don't know that the universe's constants have ever been free to vary. All right. What do you think, Carl? Well... He's right. We don't know, but simple, but an argument from, you know, just, I, it seems like an argument from ignorance isn't really an argument at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, with my knowledge, I mean, you should probably check, fact, check, fact check me on this, but the laws of nature actually change during the singularity of the big bang. So we don't have the law staying the same in that sense. Um, I do know like for formidable philosophers defending atheism, like a Graham Oppie would argue that the laws of nature are necessary, but there just doesn't seem really any reason to believe that's true. Like why couldn't the, sorry, I'm just trying to think of a constant right now, the weak nuclear force be different by like one to 10 to the negative 60th part. Like, why couldn't it be any different? It just seems like it could be a little bit more different. There's no reason, at least from my understanding, that it couldn't be different. The only really, if I'm getting my modal logic right here, the only way you could really argue this is if you say this world is the only possible world we should think of when we're trying to understand these things. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. So it just seems like arguing that fine tuning would be necessary just doesn't really seem to have any kind of like legs to it because it seems like we can come up with different worlds in our mind where the constants are different. So yes. Um, the programmer says, no, the youth apologetics empire is a lot larger. My friend, we probably have like 20 people in it. They just, none of them showed up today. So we just got Carl. Um, so Carl was the backup plan. Whoops. Did not mean to put that up. Um, let's keep rolling. Also, why would an all-powerful God need to fine-tune a universe for us to live in it? Shouldn't an all-powerful God be able to put life in any universe? And isn't God himself alive? If God created the universe, that implies that he is capable of existing without any universe, let alone a finely-tuned one. So he's at least one life form that doesn't need a finely-tuned universe to exist. Okay, so first off, we get a address the fact that in this definition of existing within the material realm, God doesn't exist except in the body of Jesus Christ when he walked the earth. Um, that's just pretty clear. So God doesn't, he definitely does not need a finely tuned universe to exist because he's the one that created said finely tuned universe. Um, yeah. I just find that funny. And, um, the only thing I'd add is God exists, but he isn't dependent on the universe. Like Carl said, um, 
God is capable of creating life in any universe? Well, maybe. Um, it seems kind of irrelevant here because the argument from fine tuning is that if they're under under given naturalism, the probability of a universe that would produce life seems extremely improbable. So this is really just assuming theism in this question. It almost would seem like to me, uh, and. Of course, he doesn't need the universe to exist. God exists outside of the universe. Um, so, yeah, I think this is kind of just a little bit off base here. I don't really get the point because God doesn't need a fine-tuned universe to exist. If your answer is the multiverse, why is there no evidence for this theory? Well, that depends on which multiverse you're talking about. Brian Greene mentions nine different kinds of multiverse in his book, The Hidden Reality. One of them is the quantum multiverse of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. And there's lots of evidence for that one. Is it? Well, I mean, all I'll say for this is he doesn't give any evidence, so he can, can't respond to it. So, yeah. Is it possible that there is no natural explanation for the origin of life? I don't think life just appeared randomly for no reason and with no explanation at all. But I suppose you probably mean to ask whether it's possible that there is a supernatural explanation. To that I say no, not really. The supernatural is not really an explanation at all. To say that something happened magically, or God did, it doesn't tell us anything of substance about how it happened. It's not an explanation. Even if a God created the universe, an explanation would have to tell us what that means exactly and by what mechanisms it happened. All right, give your thoughts, Carl. So first off, if he doesn't believe that life appeared randomly for no reason, meaning that there is a reason for life, I'm baffled, confused by how one would go about finding said reason for life because science doesn't actually provide anything but the how. Philosophy provides very... Eh, Philosophy doesn't really provide any sort of why either. It's really just, eh. I don't know what, I don't really know that much about philosophy. So I'll just say the science doesn't show the how. Science shows the how, not the why. So if he doesn't believe that there is no reason for life to exist, I'd be very curious as to what his reason for life existing is. Okay. Um, Kyle is joining us here in a second um, to respond to these questions. What's up, Kyle? Welcome. And Kyle will be joining us in a minute. Um, but all I'd say to this is that uh, if God created the universe, an explanation would have to tell us what that means exactly by what mechanisms that happen. I don't see why we'd have to have the need for like an explanation of every single thing. Um, granted, God exists. We just have kind of a reason of God existing. We can kind of reason from it. We don't need to have an exact definition. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Um, okay, Kyle. Hey, so um, yeah, about this 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 whole idea of explanation, right? Um, I can I think he's he's sort of confusing inference from explanation. So, for example, um, I know my car can work even if I don't like know how a combustion engine works, right? It's an inference, right? Um, so I think one I think because here's the the thing with theistic arguments is that it's an inference. It's not trying to give like this in-depth explanation like a scientific explanation right it's more of like an inference to okay god did it now the question is how did god do it that's a different question right mm -hmm. um so we have to make that distinction between how god did it versus if god did it right and so 
this whole idea, oh, well, you need to have some in-depth explanation. Well, I don't think that's, that's not always the case, right? Um, I think God could work by, you know, naturalistic laws. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this whole idea of explanation, I think is his, at least his sort of view of explanation is definitely not um, something that um, at least we wouldn't, we wouldn't take that sort of view in our everyday experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And something I just want to add on to the end of this is that he says the supernatural is not really an explanation at all because it doesn't tell us anything of substance about how something happened. But we're not necessarily talking about the how of something happening. We're talking about the why. And a supernatural explanation definitely does address the why. Yeah. um, Well, it also it also depends on what you mean by supernatural as well. Because, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with, with sort of denying that distinction, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think that distinction is very helpful. It's not. Um, I think it's better to, instead of talking about, um, like, supernatural versus natural, you talk about um, what's the foundation for reality? What, what's the nature um, of the foundation for reality? Now, a naturalist would say that the foundation is something that's, like, either has some limitations to it or perhaps it's, you know, some quantum void or whatever. But even in those cases, you're going to have these arbitrary limits. And that's, I mean, that's a naturalistic explanation. Whereas if you take a theistic explanation, well, under theism, God being perfect means he has no limits, right? He has no arbitrary limits. So I think it's better, at least for dialogue between atheists and naturalists, not to talk about in terms of natural versus supernatural, but rather talk in terms of foundations, right? Because once you start talking in those terms, and it's much more easier to kind mm-hmm. of get rid of those barriers that people yeah. have. The natural supernatural um, difference can be very unhelpful at times. Yeah. Where does consciousness come from? Oh, here we go, it's Kyle. A software program run by the brain. <laughs> yeah, that is, I, I watched that. I was just like, yeah, that's uh, the probably the worst answer you can give. <laughs> Let me introduce Kyle for a second here. Um, this may be helpful as we keep on going in case you're like listening for po- via podcast and wondering who this guy is that just jumped in. Uh, it's Kyle Islander. If you don't know him before, he runs the Christian Idealism YouTube channel. So he's an idealist and he knows a lot about this consciousness. Yeah. So, so we'll turn when it to comes, you. yeah. So when it comes to this consciousness thing, um, I've, I've watched a lot of his videos. Uh, I don't, I don't honestly, I have no idea what he's talking about most of the time. Um, but he's talking about, so in this case, talking about software program. Well, a program is something that um, I'm not really sure what he means by that. If we're talking about what, what type of program, we're talking about self-reference right um that's not really consciousness right you could have pipes doing the same thing or whatever so this whole idea of and and i also want to point out that there's another there is a thought experiment done um it's called the chinese room experiment and basically a, a chinese what that demonstrates is at least that a computer doesn't understand chinese in the same way that we do so how it understands Chinese is literally just um, just basically, um, what's it called? It's kind of like if you were to go into a room, okay, and if, and if I give you a box or a book of Chinese, like I could actually talk to you or like, you know, we send messages back and forth as if you're speaking Chinese, but it doesn't mean you actually understand Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we apply that to... On the software program, software programs don't actually understand anything. There's nothing it's like to be a software program. So this whole idea, oh, consciousness is just software program, 
that's complete nonsense because there's nothing it's like to be a software program, right? Now, it's true that consciousness could perhaps, you know, perhaps consciousness could be self-reference, right? So another, I guess, important distinction you want to make in consciousness is this distinction between consciousness proper and self-reflexive consciousness, which basically means um, consciousness proper is basically what it's like. And then self-reflexive consciousness is sort of um, the the way that like, it's kind of like you're, you're thinking about your own thinking, right? But in that case, self-reflexive consciousness is something that comes in addition to consciousness. Um, so I, I'm not really sure when he's talking about software, I'm assuming he's talking about um, self-reflection, but if that's, I mean, that's not really consciousness because you can have a self-reflexive program without it being really have without it having anything it's like um, in that sort of way. Um, it's funny because I actually, so this, this week I'm actually going to be releasing a video on defining consciousness where I kind of set up this distinction. But um, so, yeah, I think the, I guess the biggest issue here is even if I were to accept that definition, um, it doesn't really tell you anything about conscious proper, right? It doesn't, it only tells you about self-reference, which self-reference again, that that's not really consciousness, right? Um, you don't have to be self-aware in order to be conscious. I mean, just take most of our dreams. Most of the dreams we have, for example, um, we are not aware of them, but we still experience them, right? So mm -hmm. I think he, he's making this sort of, even going by the, even going by the best interpretation that we possibly can here with what he's saying here, it's still not going to explain anything, right? It's not going to explain what it's like, right? And I think... Now, of course, I do think that atheists could explain consciousness, but they wouldn't, they couldn't accept physicalism. So if an atheist wants to explain consciousness, then physicalism is definitely not the way to go. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's what check I Check out the Christian Idealism YouTube channel, guys, if you want more on that. Kyle's got a lot of, a lot of good stuff, but we yeah. are going to keep on rolling. Do you lack a belief that God exists, or would you say that God does not exist? That depends on several definitions. It depends on what definition of God you're using. It depends even on what you mean when you say that something exists. If you define God as a timeless, spaceless, disembodied mind, as some apologists do, and you define existence as having extension or location in space-time, as I do, then I think it's safe to say that such a God does not exist, since to say it exists would be a contradiction. With respect to most other definitions of God and existence, I probably simply lack a... Okay, yeah, stop. So, um, I guess this a uh, sort of important point to put out here. So if he's defining existence as only that it, which exists within space and time, that's going to run to a lot of problems. So you're mm -hmm. going to have to, you're going to have to deny, um, that entanglement exists, right? Cause those, those, that sort of phenomena doesn't actually happen in space time. Um, you're going to have to deny that wave functions exist. You're going to have to deny, I mean, there's a lot of things you're going to have to deny yeah. um, if you deny Because, I mean, we, we already have examples in physics of things that um, are not spatially located, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What do you think, Zach? Cause... I mean, it seems like he's inferring, like when he says that there's a, like a, that we can say God doesn't exist if he's timeless and spaceless and disembodied. He's assuming that the only things that exist are things that are inside of time or inside of space. Yeah, which is body. ridiculous. It's ridiculous because we, we already have examples of things that do not exist in space or time. I mean, mm -hmm. you literally look up, you look up the most recent advancements in quantum gravity. It's like you have literally physicists saying that 
space and time are emergent phenomena that they come from something that itself is not in space or time. So mm -hmm. this idea that um, space time is a requirement for existence, I think it's just complete it makes a lot of assumptions. What yeah. do you think, Carl? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. My mind just immediately jumped to the double slit experiment showing that not even that sometimes matter doesn't even exist within time and it matter actually goes back in time. Some in some certain cases. So, but of course the matter still exists. We still see it. We still see the products of it. So I think it, I think it's a very narrow and specifically defined definition of existence with a specific purpose. And it does accomplish it, the purpose it was designed for. It's just designing a definition to fit a purpose is very rarely an adequate explanation mm -hmm. for a phenomenon. There's a lot of assumptions, but we'll keep going. Do you just lack a belief that Zeus exists? Or do you believe that Zeus does not exist? I don't know what a Greek theologian would tell me about the ontology of Zeus, so I don't really know what it means to say that he exists. Given that this is the case, I guess I only lack a belief that he exists. Yeah, this is kind of... The, the point of this is... <clears throat> what I was really trying to get at is a lot of the Greek gods... Um, are created beings like i'd have to go into the mythology of zeus but i'm pretty sure zeus is a created being um so i think we can safely say that zeus does not exist even so like is there a distinction between like a monotheistic god that they'll make be between a polytheistic god is kind of the assumption um but it seems like they'd even lack a belief in a polytheistic god which is interesting um what do you guys think as someone who's read the percy jackson novels i can confirm <laughs> zeus is a created being <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm trying to, so I guess this goes into the whole distinction between agnostic and atheist. So mm -hmm. an agnostic is someone that doesn't have, that basically says that I don't know whether God exists. Mm -hmm. Now, an atheist could, though an atheist in the strict sense, at least in the philosophical definition, would say that God does not exist. Like that's a, So like if you were to ask an actual atheist by the actual definition, um, they would say that I, I know that God does not exist, not with absolute certainty, but just say, I, I, I hold the proposition that God does not exist. Whereas an agnostic would say that I don't hold the proposition that God does not exist, but I also, they would also, so basically if you're to boil it down to like proposition, so the proposition God exists, or I believe God exists, that's a theist. An atheist holds to the proposition that God does not exist. An agnostic would say, I don't know either way, mm -hmm. right? So in this case, um, I'm assuming he's going by um, the agnostic definition, though. I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't know, because unfortunately, a lot of atheists like to put agnostic in the same camp, which that's probably not the best way to go, but yeah. Yeah, I think most atheists, if we go to like the philosophical literature, it would more just be like non-theists, where they're not necessarily yeah. going to be agnostic or really like a full-on like atheist if you were like Oppie <clears throat> or so Will or Mackey. Well, yeah, because Oppie, I mean, he's an atheist. Like he he actually like he says there are, there are no gods, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas someone like Paul Draper, um, he would he would say that while he does argue against God, he he doesn't hold the proposition that there are no gods, whereas Oppie does hold a proposition that there are no gods. Mm -hmm. So it really depends, but, but yeah, so. Keep on rolling. Yep. If you just lack a belief that Zeus exists, 
Why are you centuries behind the rest of the world who says that Zeus does not exist? Well, I don't think that many people have really thought about what it means to say that Zeus does or does not exist, and are just assuming he doesn't exist because most other people do. You see, that's the problem with ad populum arguments. I think that it's really helpful to understand like the idea of, like Zeus being a created being um, with these questions and then like understanding of like theists like us, there's like actual arguments for like a necessary being who has a mind and it's typically like things like spaceless or immaterial or such. Whereas like with like a polytheistic God, there's not really any arguments that could get you um, like in a philosophical sense to a polytheistic God. Um, so I don't really think it's really ad populum. I mean, I do say that like everyone else doesn't believe Zeus exists, but I think there's good reason for it because he's created and yeah, that's basically my thoughts. What do you guys think? Well, I think what you do is definitely an ad populum, yeah, whether it's not populum with good reason or not, it's still ad populum. <clears throat> so his rebuttal is valid. Whether that rebuttal actually proves his point or your the reasoning behind said ad populum is enough, that's not actually contested in this video, but the ad populum itself definitely exists. Yeah. Um, hmm. It's, it's interesting because um, I'm sure there might be some people that actually do that actually say that they don't know whether Zeus does exist. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course I would be, I would say that Zeus does not exist because, well, we don't really, again, Zeus is a created being and I don't really see any good reason to think that Zeus exists. Um, and certainly none of the arguments for God um, that are natural theology, they don't argue for Zeus anyways. <laughs> um, so um, that's not really an issue for me, but um, I don't know. I mean, in this case, maybe there's some agnostic people that they don't mm -hmm. know whether Zeus does or does not exist. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely could have worded this question a little bit better. Um, I wish yeah. I did before I released this, but I mean, here we are and there's still good conversation to be had. Do you act according to what you believe or what you just lack a belief in? I act according to what I believe, I guess, but I don't understand what that has to do with whether a god exists. First things first, Carl, you told me to make this question, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, I'm blaming this on you. That's a really, it's a really good question. No, it is. What do you think? Um, if you act based on what you believe and you don't believe... you. Necessary, don't necessarily believe God does not exist, then you have actually no grounds to act on the fact that God doesn't exist, meaning not believing in God. You don't have any grounds to act on God believe on God actually existing. So you, you can't actually believe in God or not believe in God. And there is no in-between. There is no, there actually is no in between. You either believe in God or you simply just do not believe in God. And we get to a logical, I guess, cognitive dissonance. I have nothing to say on this one. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Just trying to figure out um, who's the very cute guy asking those questions. That's a good question, Susan. Uh, what a young, I look so tense in this video um, if you're watching live like the like 36 questions like <laughs> um but yeah that's for another time we'll keep on going it's an interesting question and i think ultimately people act according to like their moral systems but you know what evidence is there that atheism corresponds with reality well insofar as by atheism you mean the idea that a god does not exist the fact that reality looks as though there is no god in it is evidence of that everything seems capable of developing and functioning on its own without a conscious creator. all right you can stop it yeah, so um, 
<laughs> that was it's interesting because um you you asked the question like what's what good reasons do we have mm -hmm. to prefer atheism over theism right mm -hmm. um it's interesting how he brought up um like just the fact oh well things can just develop on their own well that doesn't explain well i mean i guess you could say it explains it but at that at that point you're either going to have to posit brute facts or some brute necessity or whatever right um mm -hmm. and that's it's funny because that's what atheists analytic atheist philosophers that's what they do right so when it comes to like the laws of nature or let's say moral laws or the laws of logic like those things under under an atheist worldview are kind of like brute necessities right now of course that's that's an explanation of why they're there um which is fine but i mean that's not really evidence that that's actually the case right mm -hmm. um so in that case you have to be a little i think you have to be a little careful so in that case, I mean, it, then it comes down to theoretic virtues, right? Mm -hmm. um, so like which which theory can explain reality better? Is it theism or naturalism, right? And um, it's interesting how he didn't go the sort of opian route of trying to argue for naturalism for, for theoretic virtues, mm -hmm. uh, because that's typically what you see in the in the in the literature um, on the atheist side. But of course, he didn't do that here, which. Um, he just kind of assumes his position without actually arguing for it, which that's not probably, that's probably not the best way to go. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, um, it looks as though, well, again, it looks as though there is no God is evidence for that. Well, how do you, what do you mean by that? Are you saying that there's brute facts, right? Because if you're going to say, okay, well, it looks as though reality is just a brute fact, then that that's fine. That's different. Right. But just saying, Oh, just reality looks as though there is no God. That's not, that doesn't really show that there's no God. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's kind of like, that's kind of like me saying going outside, let's say if I'm colorblind, right. And say, Oh, it doesn't look as if the sky is blue or something like that. <laughs> so, I mean, that's probably not the best example, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot better arguments that can be made to atheism corresponds better to reality. Like you said, and it's just like, <laughs> assumes, it's kind of like that idea of like, you know, science has explained firework, not fireworks, like lightning strikes. Um, and one time mm -hmm. or like the earth being round and at one time people just attributed these things to God. And eventually science is going to explain everything, which if we go like scientism, it's self-defeating. There's so many problems and it doesn't really get to like the heart of a lot of theistic arguments. Well, yeah. Right. Right. Like, foundation or consciousness. Yeah. Cause when it comes to theism, I mean, we're talking about the foundations, right? Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about the foundations, it's either you only really have a few options. So either you say that there's brute facts, right? Mm -hmm. Or you go the theistic route, which is say that perhaps there maybe there are brute facts, but they're all kind of united by something more simple. Mm -hmm. Right. So it really depends. But I mean, you're right in the sense that um when you get down to foundations, then the whole the whole God of the gaps, that that sort of argument doesn't really apply anymore right because that's when that's where the real battle um comes in so yeah you have any thoughts carl the one thing that i would add is that earlier he said he he didn't he saw that there was no reason for life to not develop or so, something along those lines he saw that there should be a reason for life to develop or for life to come into being and now he's saying that everything seems capable of developing and functioning on its own without a conscious creator there seems to be some sort of, I, I'll say it again, cognitive dissonance that there ha that there has to be a reason or there should be a reason for life to exist. But 
life exists. So there's no point in actually like looking for that reason. Mm -hmm. Let's keep on rolling. Is atheism a worldview? If not, what is your worldview? If you mean the kind of atheism that says there is no God, then I think that's a worldview. With respect to my worldview, that depends on what aspects of the world we're talking about. I suppose most broadly, I believe that contemporary scientific methods are the most effective at finding ways of thinking about experience that most reliably predict future experiences. Yeah, that that's, uh, I think that's an example of, again, scientism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's just issues with scientism first off like just saying like science says that um science is the best way science doesn't say that science is the only way to find truth um so it's just like self-defeating ed fezzer in his five proofs i mean i don't really know about the proofs but in his like common objections to natural theology does a really good job just kind of destroying scientism in my opinion um because this is this is basically scientism like he's not saying science is the only way he's just saying it's the most effective uh but like so what is kind of yeah. My thing, like, yeah. Yeah, any thoughts, Carl? I'd say that this worldview, at least since it hasn't addressed anything other than science, has no way of actually telling us why anything mm -hmm. happened and we're left to I mean, yeah. Sorry, go on. Purposeless existence, purposeless everything. So, all right. Yeah, because another thing is, even if we were to go by that sort of scientific worldview, right, um if you were like let's just take scientism let's let's say that okay everything at least the best way to understand reality is through science well mm -hmm. if that's the case then you would have to say that the laws of nature for example are brute facts like there's no explanation for the laws of nature mm -hmm. right and that's i mean yeah that that's the route you could go down but um that then that then that's not that's no longer science right because science mm -hmm. doesn't tell you that the laws of nature are brute facts, right? Yeah. Science only tells you what, what the laws of nature are. They don't tell you why there are laws of nature, right? Exactly. Um, so in that case, under a naturalistic worldview, you'd have to say that, there's, that they're sort of brute facts. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. What would convince you that God exists? First, I would need to hear a definition of God that isn't self-contradictory, like the timeless, spaceless one. Then I would need to see evidence of that God that is more parsimoniously explained by the idea that such a God exists than by any other explanation I could conceive. Yeah, I mean, we kind of hit on the whole, like, self-contradictory idea of God. Um, and I mean, like, see something that is better explained um, by theism than atheism is almost kind of like what he's saying here, which is like, fine like i think you know we could talk about things like consciousness or a necessary foundation which i think theism does a much better job of explaining rather than atheism um so i mean i don't really have that many issues um yeah. with the first part which we kind of already addressed yeah there's something that uh theism quite blatantly offers a better explanation for and that's the death and resurrection of jesus christ but i don't think that's what we're arguing here so we can save that for a later video yeah we'll talk about that in a minute i just finished andrew loke's book on the resurrection it's free on kindle great book so i encourage people to check that out Steve, are you willing to follow the evidence wherever it leads even if it leads to a different understanding of how the universe works of course any understanding i will ever have of how the universe works is going to be informed by the evidence I mean, nothing fine. to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nothing to say. Awesome. That's a question, kind of. Jesus rose from the dead. Would you become a Christian? 
No, rising from the dead does not, in itself, make a person worthy of worship. It certainly doesn't make a person a god. Rising from the dead is an impressive power, but having that one impressive power does not mean that a person is all-powerful. So I actually, it's funny because I actually would agree with him here. Mm -hmm. At least if we're talking about any random person mm -hmm. rise from the dead, right? Um, but I think it's, 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 it, gets a, it gets a little more complicated when you go to Jesus because he claimed to be God, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you claim to be God and then you rise from the dead, well, at least it doesn't prove that you're God, of course, but the probability that you're God goes way up mm -hmm. in that case. Right. So, I mean, I would agree with him. I would agree with him here mostly that, well, actually, I guess if we're just taking this at, at face value, I would probably agree with him um, that rising from the dead does not itself make one a god. But if someone did claim to be a god and then rose from the dead, that would be something different. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, I guess I could have added context, but I think you'd assume like a Christian's context here. You look at things like First Corinthians and it's like, well, Christianity hangs on the resurrection. Um, and then like the all powerful thing. The only thing I'll add is like, sure. Um, being able to raise from the, someone from the dead doesn't make you all powerful, but that's not what we're arguing when we're arguing for the resurrection. We use different kind of arguments to argue that God is all powerful. Uh, so yeah. Any thoughts, Carl? Yeah. When someone shows that they have authority over the natural forces of the world, then they say, I'm going to die and rise again three days later. And then they die and rise again three days later. Excuse me when I, you know, kind of assume that that's that's a deity. That's a deity. I'm just, I I can't do that. That that's something far above me. Uh uh. I'll, I'll bow down and worship that. If you if you can do that, I'll bow down and worship you. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't become a Christian, why would you ever accept the fact that he rose from the dead? Because proving that someone rose from the dead is different from proving that someone is a god or is worthy of worship. Proving one does not prove the other. In fact, as improbable as it would be, inferring that he had some advanced extraterrestrial technology would be a far smaller leap of logic than inferring that he is a god. Yeah, I just think it helps to just like understand like the New Testament and like what it says about who Jesus is. Because if he rose from the dead, it gives a lot more credibility to the New Testament. The extraterrestrial technology, I mean, he's kind of assuming God's like in nature and like just like this like alien almost with like crazy powers, but that's not really what we're arguing. Um, and of course, rising from the dead doesn't prove that someone is a God or worthy of worship. Like there are people raised from the dead in the Bible that we don't worship. But, I mean, I think there's good reason that we can look at um, when the New Testament, I think that Jesus got worthy of worship. So that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that case, I would just say, tell him to read Richard Swinburne because uh, there's a whole prior probability that you have to take into account when it comes to this sort of thing. So, yeah. Joshua Phillips says, I like Carl. And I like you, random citizen. That's a quote from Megamind prime movie actually it's, i love you random citizen but i love you nonetheless josh um yeah i'll have to i'll have to go with the next one so yeah we'll keep yeah. going why do atheists keep insisting that faith is blind trust well that's not what christians or the bible say in hebrews 11 1 the bible says that faith <laughs> oh boy yeah what we do not see what is blind trust if it's not assurance of what you don't see? Your thoughts, Kyle? Um, yeah, I I have nothing to say there because just he hasn't read scholars on on that sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just, you got to read actual scholarship because no one's saying that faith is totally blind. And like, if, and if it was saying that, that wouldn't fit at all with like what the Bible says faith is. Um, just like read the book of Acts, for example. They're not saying just be blind and have faith because you should believe it. They're saying, here's the reasons, here's the evidence. Um, so it's just, it's just not a message that is even true when you look at this passage in context. And it's not consistent with what the rest of the Bible has to say about what faith is. Yeah. Anyways, I got to go, guys, but it was nice. Yeah. Thanks for coming Very on, nice. Kyle, for a little bit. Yep. Check out Christian Idealism YouTube channel, everyone. Um, that was Kyle. He joined us for a little bit. But any thoughts, Carl? Uh, yeah, no. This, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure if I can assume this guy's married or not. But my dude, if you are married, do you have faith your wife is not going to cheat on you? And if so, why? Because she hasn't cheated on you thus far, right? She's been you know, consistent in the past and you use that as reasoning to show she will be consistent in the future. That's what faith is. That's what the, basically the only definition of faith is the confidence in what we hope for confidence in your wife, continuing to be faithful, I guess not faithful, but we'll use consistent because it's the same word assurance of what has not assurance of what we do not see. Have you seen your wife continue to be faithful? No, you have not. But you have that assurance because she's been faithful in the past. Keep on going. Why do you want material evidence for an immaterial God? What other kind of evidence is there? I don't know where to even start looking for immaterial evidence. What would that even look like? What would it mean for the immaterial to be evident? Okay. Um, there's a few thoughts we could give here. Uh, I, the main point of this question was kind of like the idea of like we need a measurable, repeatable test for existence of God, uh, which we see or like a demonstration, something along these lines. Um, what kind of evidence is there? Well, there's all kinds of things. There's philosophy. There's history. Uh, there's just so many things that we, there's morality. Like there's so many things that aren't like material. Like you can look at this pen and be like, oh, I can measure this pen. There's a lot of things out there, abstract objects that aren't material. Um, he argued for your B theory of time earlier. You can't just look at B theory of time. We did, if you make that argument, you'd argue it from like, say like general relativity. So there's all kinds of other evidences. Um, and we can get those through just argumentation or reasoning from what we observe, just all kinds of things. Well, yeah, the whole thing of asking for material evidence is one of those things. It's like, (laughs) yeah, we kind of had that material evidence and we put them on a cross. So (laughs) Good luck with that. Good luck getting that again until the end of days. And that's like just the Christian, that's Christian sass coming through. It's not an actual response. Yeah. That's just me being petty, but it's one of those things like we had it and we didn't really believe in it then. Let's keep on going. Is there a purpose to life? Not unless you give it one. Okay. I mean, I don't really have much, but we can keep going. Obviously, like as a theist, I'm arguing that there's an ultimate purpose, loving, glorifying guy, but I don't really think there's much for discussion here. Unless you have thoughts, Carl. He has a consistent answer. Yeah, it's true. If there is, but what standard do you determine that life has purpose? I don't determine that life has a purpose. A purpose has to be invented. If not, what is the point of listening to this video? satisfying my curiosity about what these questions were going to be all right pause it that's pretty funny but i mean give you a thought yeah it is a funny answer but 
Granted, the whole purpose thing is very much that you have to give life purpose. Why do you have to give life purpose? Is it just, you know, for your own peace of mind? Mm -hmm. And if it is just for your own peace of mind, why do you even want to have peace of mind? Mm -hmm. We can get into the Socratic method and go back into an infinite regression until eventually we, we land on, I think, either some brute fact or God, and I don't, and even if we get to a brute fact, simply claiming a brute fact is a brute fact because, you know, it exists isn't really that credible, but claiming that God is God because, you know, God exists as something outside of space and time and completely separate from the thing that's actually created, it seems to be far more logically consistent. Where does morality come from? Our consciences. Yeah, this really isn't an answer at all. Um, but, yeah, you have any thoughts? Especially since he just said that our consciences are software programs run by brain, run by our brains. So morality wouldn't then come from our conscious consciences. It would come from the atoms in our brains that have written that code. Which so, are determined by the laws of physics. So I think if we'd follow this logic all the way through, morality comes from the laws of physics. So. Yeah which is quite a leap of faith to make for me. Yes. How do you determine what is right and what is wrong? Right and wrong are whatever my conscience tells me they are. So what the laws of physics tell you are, if we deduce that consciousness just comes from the brain, um, which would deduce that it's just basically the laws of physics, I think, if we follow determinism all the way through. But, yeah. The only thing I'll add is that the opening scene from like Zach's talking on that was one of the funniest faces I've ever seen him make. And I'm definitely going to go back and screenshot that and make it my <laughs> new contact. I was so it. tense in this video. Like, I know. I was I like, know, you, I, like, I must have like been mad at eight in like atheists. If you're listening to this, love you guys. And I'm so glad you're listening to this. I'm have so much love for atheists. I disagree with you guys on a lot. Uh, but I'm usually not this tense. I just, I must've been in this video and I apologize for that, but I still think there's productive conversations that could be had um, regarding this topic. When a lion kills a cub from another pride, because that's what natural selection is raised to do, is that morally acceptable? Well, what's the alternative? Sending people to watch over every lion population to make sure that they're behaving themselves? That seems like it would be far more harmful to their ecosystem. Okay. That's not um, an alternative at all. Susan says, all oh, those good protons we have. <laughs> Thank you for that, Susan. Go, Carl. The alternative to a lion killing the cub of another lion of another pride is a lion not killing the cub of another pride. I don't know where we haven't even begun to introduce man to this, let alone give man a reason to establish a moral high ground over any sort of other animal. And the way that you're describing this, it kind of sounds like you're saying man has the authority over the rest of the animals, which brings me back to a story I heard in a book called Genesis, was it? <laughs> but I, I digress. Uh, I think the point of this question was basically like if humans are just pure animals, we're not made in the image of God, anything like that. What makes our moral system any better, especially if we determine it just by the laws of physics? Um, so that's kind of the point of this question. If evolution has put a sense of morality into us to help us survive, what makes our actions better than any other animal's actions? Exactly. Well, sometimes people act in a way that is less offensive to my conscience than the way other animals act, but not always. But ultimately, what I consider morally better or morally worse is whatever my conscience tells me. 
Yeah. And I think we follow this through with what he said earlier about consciousness being like a computer program. It's really just what the laws of physics have kind of like programmed into your brain. Um, if we follow this through. So, so you, and then following that through, so you actually have no morality. You're just, we get, and we get into determinism. You love to see some determinism. Let's go. I just started reading determined to believe by John Lennox, like literally like the today, very good book. Um, Carl just knocked it out of the park again. Joshua, Josh. stop being so nice to Carl. He doesn't deserve it. Yeah, Joshua, I really struggle with pride, so I <laughs> highly suggest you cut it out. Or go follow me it's on Instagram. It's acceptable for you to kill a toddler because you can no longer financially support it? Well, obviously not because there are many alternative options that don't violate anyone's bodily autonomy. Huh, I like when I paused it, but I mean, obviously, like we'd agree that killing a toddler is wrong, but it's kind of going to the abortion question, which is the next one. Um, yeah, yeah, if bodily autonomy requires consciousness, and consciousness is simply, you know, establishment of physics, there's no difference between consciousness and bodily autonomy and a rock, because mm -hmm. physics would have then, you know, if physics is the thing that wrote morality into our minds, physics then would have had to write morality into a rock's mind in a sense, because it's just written from physics and physics behaves the same with every with every matter, no matter what piece of matter it is. That's one of those things. It's like, if because of course, if you take physics back farther, eventually you get to the brute facts and I'm not very familiar with those. And if I'm completely out of pocket, Zach, stop me. But it just seems like there's absolutely no basis for a moral claim in a worldview like this or in a non-worldview like this. Depends, um, but we're going to keep on going because I don't want to see my face anymore like that on screen. <laughs> Is it morally acceptable for you to kill a fetus in the womb because you could not financially support it? Well, what's the alternative? Forcing someone to give birth against their will? That's far worse. I would personally think that um, taking the life of another human being just because it is just is a lot worse than forcing someone to give birth. Um, murder is a lot worse than um, forcing to give birth. Um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah. You felt miserably, apparently, Carl. So I, I'm, I'm down for that. Now we're checked. Thank you, Joshua. On a lighter Appreciate note, it, Josh. Um, but yeah. Um. Is it morally acceptable to kill a baby after it's been born? How can you morally differentiate between a baby in the womb at six months and a baby born prematurely at six months? One affects another person's body and the other doesn't. Yeah, so he his, his argument is like bodily autonomy is for like for or against abortion. Um, do you want to give your thoughts on that first, Carl? How can you differentiate between a baby and a rock? Is it just your conscience tells you to? Okay, great. How does... How did you get that conscience? Physics. Okay, great. Has physics given a rock con a conscience? Yeah. Who are you to say otherwise? And we have absolutely no grounds to differentiate between a baby and a rock. Yeah. I, and I think I think about is in each of these two scenarios, let's say there's a, a woman pregnant with a baby at six months and a baby pre born premature at six months. Um, it affects both of bodies still. Um, any mother would tell you that when that baby's born, there's a lot of, that's going to take a lot of that woman's time. And it honestly could be even harder than it was before birth. Um, so it still affects the body of the woman. So yes. Who was Jesus? 
He was a dude from Nazareth. True, but I was hoping for more. Any thoughts? Yes, he's not wrong. <laughs> we agree. It's a win. Well Shout out to TMM for agreeing with us. <laughs> Why did his disciples say that he rose from the dead? Religion is a hell of a drug. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about this, but he doesn't really even try to interact with like an argument from like the apostles' martyrdom, even if we take like Peter, Paul, maybe James, the brother of Jesus, like, he doesn't even really interact with the argument, so I don't really feel any need to really respond because there's just so much that could be said. Yeah, it's if in order to respond to this, it'd really just be taking you through. Honestly, I just take you through the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That's all. It's <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm, no. Case for Christ is good, but I'd highly recommend the case for the resurrection of Jesus by Gary Habermas and Michael Lacona first. Um, because as much as great as Lee Strobel is, and if you're at, and if by some chance you're actually listening to Lee Strobel, you've done amazing work. I do think it's also helpful to read from um, Habermas and Lacona. They have a great introduction text to that too. So yeah, two great books though, definitely. Why does the Bible keep lining up with archaeology? It doesn't. For example, the Sinai ought to be littered with Israelite artifacts corroborating the 40 years that Exodus says they wandered around the place. But Israeli archaeologists haven't found the tiniest bit of evidence of their presence. Okay. Um, one, this just isn't true. Uh, obviously, there's not like uner- it's not like unearthing New York City. But if you like take, for example, different Egyptologist scholars, there is evidence. I don't have it off the top of my head because I'm not an Egyptologist. Uh, there's an interview that um, Christ Culture and Coffee did with an Egyptologist talking about this. Really interesting. Also inspiring philosophy you would have to disagree. Um, but even like, let's say the Israelites wandered around the Sinai for 40 years. I don't know how much evidence you'd expect. Like the Sinai is a giant desert. You can't just dig holes in the middle of the Sinai like and expect to pop things up it's huge um so a couple of my thoughts yeah what i'll say is that they have found um inscribings of cows with the extremely long horns which are customary to the realms in the sinai region they found like drawings of cows with large horns which ha- were found in egypt so people from egypt drew their cows on a wall next to Sinai around the time of the Israelites. One of the three bloodiest regimes in history, that being Mao's China, Germany, and Stalin's Russia, come from atheistic ideas. Which ideas would those be in particular? None of those leaders ever said, we need to ban democracy because there is no God. Yeah, um... I've been studying this more. Do you want to give your thoughts, Carl, and I'll wrap things up here? This is the last question. Sure. Um, I'd say that we act based on what we believe. So if someone acts based on what they believe and this is their actions, and if their actions stem from what they believe being atheism, then Zach's point kind of stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what I'd add is uh, – the Nazis are complicated looking at the religious beliefs. I guess I would recant saying they're atheists, but they're definitely, it's more social Darwinism, definitely not any Orthodox religion. Um, so he doesn't really respond to like their beliefs, um, but people will do act out of their worldview. Like if you read 
any of the primary literature regarding Hitler, um, especially like the like more like later stuff, like the Goldwood Diaries. Hitler's very social Darwinist, very antagonistic to Christianity, any sect of organized religion. He basically says science is the only way to explain truth, all that stuff. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of issues. So, yeah, I just don't think he really interacts with it. But that's kind of the last um, segment of this. Uh, so we'll kind of start to wrap things up here. Uh, Joshua Phillips says, Carl, you just failed miserably. Wait, whoops. No, there's another question coming up. Um, he says, um, would you just disagree with that last point, Carl, that the same could apply to Christians then? The last point that um, for Christians being for us acting out of what we believe, absolutely, we act out mm -hmm. of what we believe. But there's some people that believe the right things about Christianity, and there's some people that believe the wrong things about Christianity. Believing that it's justified to go slaughter a bunch of Muslims in the Holy Land is not very much in line with the teachings or actions of Jesus. Believing that it's okay to, you know, cause a famine for the sake of power is not, may not be, not, may not consciously be within the lines of what atheism believes, but without an absolute morality, it's difficult, nay, impossible to say that it's not. Yeah. Um, and on that note, we will wrap things up here. We just hit the hour mark perfectly. Um, this is it here in apologetics. Carl, you want to wrap us up and do all the hard part? Um, if we hit the hour mark perfectly, perfectly, then why does it say one hour, one minute, <laughs> and two seconds? You're right. You are a liar. Uh, yeah, sure. So my name is Carl Olhoff. This has been in here in apologetics. Zach's the guy, Zach's the guy that runs that. You can follow him on the YouTube, which is pretty obvious. You're watching it on YouTube. You can follow him on Twitter at a apologetics or Patreon at in here in apologetics. Make sure you not subscribe, but make sure you donate to that. It helps him. It makes sure that me and him can spend more time together in college and he doesn't have to work a full-time job. So my name is Carl Olhoff. You can follow me on Carl, Carl underscore has underscore not on Instagram, or this isn't my fault on TikTok. I may have a YouTube channel coming out soon, but outside of that, also I have a Patreon. If you want to give me money for no reason at all, that's, that's cool too. Um, send me a DM on Instagram and ask for that. But it's been in here in apologetics. Uh, I'm praying for every single one of you. I love you. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. Um, thank you for Joshua Slamar and uh, everyone else who joined today. Really appreciate you. Shout out to Kyle for joining us a little bit of our answer, a little bit of these questions. And team Mem, if you listen to this, I uh, really hope this can help further the conversation as we all work together to pursue truth. Uh, God bless everyone. I will say, TMM, if you're if you are listening to this, you are a bright guy. Like I, pri prime arguments, my guy. Prime arguments.